Now we're turning again to John chapter 10, um, looking at verse 22 onwards. Then came the feast of dedication at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was in the temple area walking in Solomon's colonnade. The Jews gathered round him, saying, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you do not believe. The miracles I do in my Father's name speak for me, but you do not believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Again, the Jews picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus said to them, I have shown you many great miracles from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? We are not stoning you for any of these, replied the Jews, but for blasphemy, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I have said you are gods? If he called them gods, to whom the word of God came, and the scripture cannot be broken, what about the one whom the Father set apart as his very own and sent into the world? Why then do you accuse me of blasphemy? Because I said, I am God's son. Do not believe me, unless I do what my father does. But if I do it, even though you do not believe me, believe the miracles, that you may know and understand that the father is in me and I in the father. Again they tried to seize him, but he escaped their grasp. Then Jesus went back across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing in the early days. Here he stayed, and many people came to him. They said, Though John never performed a miraculous sign, all that John said about this man was true. And in that place, many believed in Jesus. So, the last couple of weeks we've been looking at the famous saying of Jesus that he is the good shepherd. And this discussion, which happened soon afterwards, um, is one in which he tells us, he carries on from that in a way, He's, he says that he has the power to care for his sheep, to keep them safe, to give them life forever. And he also makes it very, very clear that he is willing to accept as his sheep even those who utterly hate and oppose him. If they will change their minds and come to him, he is willing, he is glad to receive them. This is a passage where Jesus goes quite deep. He says some strange things, some confusing things. But things that are powerful, things that make it clear exactly how he can be the shepherd who can keep us forever and love us forever. So just for context, it, this is the, happens at the Feast of Dedication. That's the feast that is now usually called Hanukkah, um, very close to Christmas, uh, lots of candles and lights, it's winter. Um, it's a celebration of when the temple had been taken over by uh, 
a Greek-speaking uh, ruler and uh, made into a place for the worship of other gods. That it was taken back and then restored into a place of worship of the true God. Um, so this happens, we can tell from when that feast is, quite soon after the events of the previous chapters. Possibly even the next day, but certainly within a few weeks. Um, the introduction and the conclusion here in this passage really make it clear sorry, what people's reactions are to him. We see those two reactions at the beginning, the, the shock and the horror of the people wondering who on earth he is, angry because he won't tell them directly. And then at the end we'll see the opposite reaction, people looking at what he says and concluding he is the promised one. In the middle uh, we have... Um, Jesus' own statements that make it clear that he is the shepherd, God's shepherd, who is one with the Father, and the shepherd who acts with the Father. And those two things together make it possible for him to rescue and care for his sheep, his followers. So firstly, uh, who is he? Um, so it's winter. He's walking in the shelter of the colonnade. Uh, that's a picture of the temple there. You can see around the edge there's these walkways with roofs and open to the, the air uh, with pillars all around them. Uh, it's in one of those Jesus is walking. Uh, out of the cold wind perhaps or out of the rain, we don't, don't quite know, but it, that's, the, that's the picture here. And, and a group of people come up to him. Uh, Jews, which in John's Gospel always, always means the Jewish leaders, the religious leaders. Uh, everyone here is a Jew, Jesus is a Jew, his disciples. But here it's singling out the leaders. And they come and they crowd round him and they say, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. And you can hear the frustration in their voices. You know, Jesus has come and he's claiming to be all these amazing things, he's doing all these amazing things, but he's never actually said, you know, I am the Christ, I am God's promised anointed king. Um, you know, bow down. And they say, why don't you just speak clearly? Why don't you say yes or no? Why don't you tell us clearly? Now, we'll get to Jesus' response in a moment. Um, there's a reason that Jesus has not said, I am the Christ. Um, I have a friend um, who recently uh, completed a doctorate. So he, a higher degree, he's now allowed to put doctor in front of his name. And he call, was on the phone to some call centre and they said, you know, what's your title? And he said, doctor, because that is his title. And then a little later they have to ask him, you know, so what's your occupation? And they say, oh, your occupation is you're a doctor, aren't you? And he said, um, I, I, actually, no, um, because he's not a doctor. He's never worked in, med he's never been a medic in his life. His job, he, he has studied for a doctorate, a, a degree, advanced degree, that gives him the right to call himself doctor, but his degree is all to do with statistics and things that are nothing to do with medicine. So he said, no, 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 I'm not a doctor. And he started to say, no, I work at the university. And they said, you said a moment ago, you're a doctor. Are you a doctor? Yes or no? And they wouldn't take any answer except yes or no. Are you or are you not a doctor? So when he said he was a doctor, well, what could he answer? Either way, they're going to misunderstand him. If he says, yes, I'm a doctor, they'll, say, they'll put right down medical doctor for his occupation. If he says, I'm not a doctor, they'll go back and change him to mister, which wouldn't be right. There are, the same is going on here. If he says, yes, I'm the Christ, all their preconceived ideas about what God's anointed king would be will be what they assume he's saying. And he doesn't live up to them, so they won't be impressed. They will reject him. But he is still telling them. And that's, that's what he, he goes on to say. I did tell you, 
but you don't believe. In other words, I've told you, not in exactly the words you want, but I have made it very clear who I am. It's clear enough for anyone who's listening. Because of your preconceived ideas, perhaps, you won't, you won't listen to that, you won't hear. Because you won't believe, because you don't trust the Father, because you don't come and listen with an open heart, you, you won't believe that I say who I am. Yes, I am the Christ, in other words. But that means something different. In fact, it means something far more than you think it does. And as Jesus so often does, he doesn't just come back and answer that question. He goes deeper. He's going to tell them that his claims are far bigger and far deeper, far more far-reaching than they think they are. And he takes them back, uh, first of all, to a basic fact he's pointed out time and again and will continue to point out. Look, the miracles I do in my Father's name speak for me, but you do not believe because you are not my sheep. Look at the evidence of my actions. Show, not tell. You know, he's saying, even if you won't listen, just look at what's happening. Just look at that evidence. Or, you know, to be crude, if it quacks like a dog, it is a dog. That's what Jesus is saying. You might not like my words, but look at what I'm doing. Is, am I doing what messiahs do or not? But you, leaders, you're, you're not my sheep. You won't listen to my voice. He then goes on to explain more deeply what he's saying. Now, here he's going to make it very clear that he is God's shepherd, which was another title for God's king. He is the good shepherd. But being the good shepherd, he has power to keep his sheep, his followers, safe forever. Because to be that shepherd is to be one with the Father, one with God the Father. No other shepherd, no other leader would ever be able to do the things that the Messiah is supposed to do to keep the sheep safe. So he says, 1027, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I am the, the good shepherd. He knows each of us. And as he said before, he says he'll give them life. He said before he'd give them abundant life. And here he says that life will be eternal. They shall never perish. As well as being a life of joy and fulfillment, as we saw before, it will be an everlasting life of joy and fulfillment. But what he emphasizes this time is that his sheep will never, ever be lost. They shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. His care is powerful enough to keep them safe forever. And that is a wonderful promise, isn't it? If Jesus is going to save someone, if you are his, you are absolutely safe with him, safe in his hand. But he he carries on. My father is greater than all. And he says, it is my father who has given them to me. No one can snatch them from my father's hand. He's just said, no one can snatch them from my hand. And now he says, no one can snatch them from the Father's hand. Whose hand are they in? His or the Father's? Well, he says, I and the Father are one. They were going to be offended a moment ago if he said he was the Christ. But now he's saying he's one with God the Father. They are going to not just be offended, they're going to be deeply, deeply shocked. And we'll return to what these verses mean for our lives in a moment. But first of all, just look at their reaction. They pick up stones to stone him. They're they're quite clear what he means. They're going to say, "Um, you, a mere man, claim to be God. Verse 33. And so they pick up stones to kill him. 
Yes, this is going to be mob violence. They are shocked and horrified and think that this is worthy of immediate death, death even without a trial. So Jesus gets them to pause. He asks them a question. Which of my uh, many great miracles are you stoning me for? That is a bit odd, but you know the, the word miracles could also be translated here as acts or deeds. He's saying, people are punished for wrong acts. Which of them are you punishing me for? Are you punishing me for any of these particular acts? And they say, no, none of them. It's not your actions, but your words, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. They're very clear. They don't think he's saying he's a man who's just close to God, but that he is God himself. And Jesus is not going to deny that. Let's come back before we carry on with the passage to what these verses 28 to 30 mean for us. He is assuring us that to be in his hand is to be in the Father's hand. That we will, if we are his, never perish. That we cannot be taken from him because he and the Father are one. And of course here he is spelling out the teaching of John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That's what the first thing John says about Jesus, about the Son of God. He was with God, and he was God. And he's spelling out that that means that when he rescues us, he can rescue us absolutely, powerfully, safely. He can hold us and keep us safe. It's the mystery of the Trinity, of course, isn't it? The Trinity is simply the word we use for what you get when you put all the passages like this together. When we put together what Jesus says about himself and the rest of the Bible sees about him, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Each of them, God and yet in relationship with one another. One God, entirely one, but yet with relationships among them. That means, back to this passage, That to be safe with him is to be safe with God the Father. To be safe with God, full stop. And that's why it matters who he is. That's why he's saying he's not merely the Messiah. They need to understand how deep his claim goes because that is what gives him the power to keep us safe. No human being, no angel, no created being could ever make a promise like this. That there is no power in the universe which can separate us from him. No power at all. Because that is what he is saying. No one can snatch them out of my hand. Because he is one with the Father, we are entirely safe when we give ourselves to him. Now, that makes it plain that if we are not safe with him, we do not have this eternal life that he gives. That we will perish. It makes it plain as well. There are forces that would snatch him us from our, his hands. So he is offering life that it comes from him alone. But once we accept that, once we are in his hands, we are safe. And it is a wonderful promise. Now, of course, some of us will be reluctant to take on board the full power of that promise. Uh, Perhaps some of us who need it most. Um, It's easy for us to think, I've done so many bad things, you know, I've turned my back on this promise myself. I keep slipping up, I keep doing things wrong, and perhaps I have left behind this promise. It's not that someone else is separating me from God, but that I am myself in all the wrong I do. Um, Now, um, 
There is a disagreement over this verse, a legitimate disagreement. Christians down the centuries have disagreed with exactly how to interpret it. Some will say um, that God will keep any true Christian and guarantee they will get to heaven, and and that's that, full stop. Others will say um, that, yes, he will keep us, but there's nothing to stop us jumping out of his hand, as it were. Um, It's a legitimate disagreement. There are many difficult passages in the Bible. Uh, People like uh, John Wesley thought that you could jump out of his hand, as it were, that you could be a Christian and then walk away. Now, they said that for a very... Uh, I'm going to say that I disagree with that, and because I think the Bible disagrees with that. But you can see why they said it. Because it's perfectly obvious, isn't it, that you can't say, I'm a Christian, I trust in Jesus, uh, I just happen to, you know, I'm going to go around murdering people, but it's fine, God will forgive it. You know, that's not real Christianity, is it? And someone who appears to be a Christian, but then turns their back entirely on it and carries on like that, clearly isn't. Um, following Jesus. They're clearly not going to get to heaven if they're entirely rejecting the, the way of Jesus and, and, and Jesus himself. And so the Bible's full of warnings. It, it, it does tell us, you know, if you turn your back on Jesus, you, you cannot be saved. It's even possible, it says, to have experience of the power of God, of the power of the Holy Spirit working in your life and still walk away. Jesus himself says in uh, Matthew that it's the one who keeps going, the one who stands firm to the end who will be saved. And we do need to take that seriously. And if you've been a Christian for any length of time, you know people who said they were Christians, people who doubtless thought they were Christians, who have walked away. And that's a real thing. At the same time, we've got to take these verses seriously. Jesus doesn't just say no one can snatch his sheep from his hand. He also says they will never perish. Not they will never perish unless they slip up. In the scripture, the mark of a a true Christian is someone who will keep going to the end. Um, As John himself would later write in in, in 1 John, you know, the the reason some people leave, that they walk away from the church, is that they, they never belonged to us, that they were never really deep down followers of Jesus. Or as Philippians puts it, he who began a good work and you will carry it on to completion, if God is at work in your life and you have come to believe in him, he will not let you go till he's done. He doesn't give up on what he starts. He finishes it. If he's made you his, he will keep you his. And of course, that's what all the warnings in places like Hebrews all across the Bible are for, all those warnings to keep going. A shepherd doesn't just walk along and hope the sheep will follow. They make sure they follow, don't they? They, The shepherd will call the sheep, or in this country he'll get the sheep to be rounded up by a sheepdog. He will make sure those sheep don't go astray. Just think for a moment of what you would think of a shepherd who told you he always keeps the sheep safe. Uh, he always guards them from robbers. He keeps a constant watch on them. Uh, he drives off wolves. But he doesn't want to interfere with the sheep's freedom, so he doesn't have any fences. And if they want to jump off a cliff, he's not going to stop them. And, um, yeah, if they just want to wander off, that's all right with him. Jesus is the good shepherd. Jesus will hold on. Jesus will lay down his life for his sheep. And so when he says... They shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. He means that without qualification. If you listen to his voice, if you have come to trust in him truly, he will never let you go. He will never let you go from his hand. He will keep you.
All the powers of the universe cannot remove you from there. And you can be confident of that. When you look at your failings and the things that make you feel like you've messed up yet again, how could he possibly keep on looking after a person like you? The answer is, because he is a God, a shepherd, who can bring you back. He is a shepherd who can hold on to you even through that. He is a shepherd who can make you right once more. All the powers of the universe cannot remove from you from his hand. Not you yourself, not angels, not demons, nor present or future, nor powers, nor height or depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord and our shepherd. This shepherd is constantly acting with the Father. And he's acting with the Father to show his compassion and his call to us that we might come and become those shepherds, those sheep. Now, this second half, Jesus quotes a fairly obscure bit of the Bible. It's fairly odd and sort of disconcerting. But it's there because of his compassion for the people who are talking to him. It's there to remind us that it is never too late. That for us, if, if you're listening now, it is not too late to come to him. These people, it's not just that they've blasphemed and mocked him in the past, that they've been working against him. They are literally standing around him with rocks in their hands, ready to kill him. And he is going to still carry on calling them to come to him, to be his sheep, to know him, and to have that everlasting power holding them. The way he does that is by asking them a really awkward question to slow them down. Because they're angry. (laughs) They've got rocks in their hands. Uh, There's not time for a nice, long, quiet explanation. He asks them a question that is going to just sort of stun and confuse them. Um, And that will give him a moment in which he can appeal to them once, once again. So he says, you know, you're all angry with me for saying that I'm God. But look, you know, you guys know your Bibles. And they did. And you know there's a place where it says, God says to people, I have said you are gods. People being called gods. If God can call me a people gods, then how much more Jesus himself, the one whom the Father set apart as his very own and set into the world. If you can use that word of them, surely you can use it of me. <laughs> now, that immediately confuses us. Well, you know, what on earth is he saying? The Bible is so abundantly clear. It's a fundamental thing. The, the Jews used to say this, this verse every single day. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. There is only one God. To make any claim to any kind of divinity beside God is an awful thing. And that's right at the heart of their religion. Uh, well, Jesus takes them back to this slightly obscure psalm to break them out of their fixed ideas and help them understand that he's not denying this at all. It's true. But there's somewhat more going on than they realise. So to take us briefly to, to that psalm that he's quoting, that Old Testament prayer. God, as the supreme judge, is telling off the judges of the earth. They've done a bad job. You know, the rulers, the judges. There's, the world is full of injustice. Still is, of course. Um, and he's saying that the judges and rulers are failing uh, to give justice. Uh, you notice he's talking, uh, the last verse there, verse 7, you will die like mere men. They are, 
that you're a mere man, you will fall like every other ruler. So he's talking to people, to, to rulers. And he's saying that they are failing to show justice. You will defend the unjust, show partiality to the wicked. That's what you're doing. And he's uh, telling them off for that. He's saying that these, he's calling these people gods, in commas, um, who are God's servants for justice. You remember that in another place, Romans, yeah, the Bible says that people whose job it is to bring justice, so rulers and judges and authorities, are God's servants. They are doing a job that God has delegated to them. God is the true judge. They are judges. Their job is to show the justice of God in the world. And they often fail at that. All of them fail of it to some degree. Uh, just a, another example. God's, Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd, or good pastor, in another, to use a different word. We still call some people pastors, yet Jesus is the true pastor. In the same way, this is saying, this, this is the strange verse. These people are being called gods because they share in part of God's work, the work of justice. Now, they're not really gods. It's picture language. But it, it gives, Jesus uses this to make them pause and think, wait a second, we should be a little bit more careful about how we use this word. And he says, if the Bible can call them gods, who are just, you know, in picture language, they're sharing a little bit of God's work because they're doing justice just like God is just, what does that make me? Because he says, I'm not like other men. I was set apart before creation. He says, the one whom the Father set apart as his very own and sent into the world. Back to John 1. He is the one who was with the Father before all creation. And he was sent into the world to do the Father's work. And that, that's the key here. Like the judges are doing a bit of God's work, but Jesus is doing the work of the Father. So then, why do you accuse me of blasphemy? Because I said I'm God's son. They share his task in a little way. I share God's task of rescuing people from this world Utterly, absolutely, and completely. He said that before in John 5. Whatever the Father does, the Son also does. If those judges can be called gods, even as a metaphor, even as picture language, how can Jesus be called anything less? And Jesus carries on. Do not believe me unless I do what the Father does. Again, what's being underlined here is, he does what the Father does. He shares the Father's work. How can he be anything less than God? No one can do the Father's work apart from God because it is, it is God's work. Do not believe me unless I do what my Father does. How do you test a claim to be God? Well, can you do what God does? Look at his miracles. Yes, he can. And he says, even though you don't believe me, I want you to stop and look at the miracles. You might not like what I say, but just look at what I do. And if you look at them, you will see the Father is in me and I in the Father. You will know, you'll come to understand what's really going on. That we are absolutely together, absolutely one. And because we're in one another, because we are one, well, and so again, back to the beginning of the passage, because of that, I can hold on to you. I can take you through death. I can give you eternal life. I can hold on to you forever. No mere man can do that. Now after this, he slips off, gets away from them. John doesn't want to leave there. there. 
He wants us to see that many people did recognize. They did listen to what he was saying. They did recognize that he was the promised one. He went back across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing in the early days. And he stayed there. And many people came to him. These people had thought about it. They said, John never performed a miraculous sign. John the Baptist used to baptize there. The one who announced that Jesus was the coming king, the coming Messiah, the Lamb of God. He never did miracles, but he spoke truth about this guy. This guy who does do miraculous signs. And so they believe. John, in other words, the writer rather than John the Baptist, is leaving us with that choice. Will we be like those leaders in Jerusalem who reject him out of hand? Or will we be like these crowds? who stop, who look, who listen to the heavens, who weigh what happened, who think it through, and see that he must be who he says he is. And when we do, of course, we, that is what it means to become his sheep, to hear his voice, to trust him, to take us through death, to give us eternal life, to make us safe in the Father's hand forever. Or to put it in the words of an old hymn that we'll sing later this week at Sally's funeral. You know, will your anchor hold in the storms of life? Well, if, the, if you trust Jesus, the answer is yes. We have an anchor that keeps the soul steadfast and sure while the billows roll, fastened to the rock which cannot move, grounded, firm and deep in the Saviour's love. Let's pray. Oh, Jesus, there's some strange things in this passage, some technical things, some deep mysteries as well, which are beyond human grasp. But you teach them to us so that we might know that you really do have the power to give us eternal life, to make sure that we shall never perish, to hold us safely in your hand forever. Thank you that you love human beings enough that you were willing to teach that even to people who were ready to kill you. Help us to hear your voice and to put our trust absolutely in you. And where we lack confidence in your ability to keep us, or your desire to keep us, where we think that we've let you down too many times, failed you too often, Help us to return to the confidence that you are the one who keeps his sheep and who will never let them go. In Jesus' name, amen.